0: You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Things happen sometimes that don't make sense, that we can't explain.
1: I'm Sean Taylor.
0: Sean is pretty rooted in the world of facts. He's an educator, and he's long considered himself an atheist— but echoes from his Jamaican and his wife's Creole ancestry have proved to be a challenge to his lack of belief in things unseen.
1: Being a hardcore atheist really didn't work out so well because there's things that I've seen and heard that I really have no rational explanation for. I won't, you know, I won't just own the fact that it was something supernatural, but I will own the fact that I have absolutely no idea what it was. There's definitely things that I've experienced, you know, through my family history, through my wife's family history, through my daughter. You know, kids are creepy, especially at night when you hear them talk. (laughs) You're just like, who's in there, you know? My daughter's like me, she's a night owl. Like the night is when we come alive. We can creep each other out sometimes. She one time was like, your grandma's really cool, daddy. I was like, what are you talking about? She died before you were born. And I'm just like, you just need to go to bed and not talk anymore until the daytime. I won't say that my daughter's psychic powers got silly, but there's something that she's attuned to on a level that my family told me about me when I was young, that I was kind of keyed into something extra. So we have like, you know, Obia, which is a religion which is kind of like parallel to voodoo in the Caribbean, in Jamaica. And so we have a lot of Obia people in our family.
0: The Obia religion was developed by West African slaves and is practiced in many areas of the Caribbean. It's common practice to set plates for dead relatives at the dinner table and to have altars around the home. As an aside, Sean's daughter was building altars at two years old.
1: She would just build little things and be like, that's for them. Who's them? All of them. You're like, okay, creepy. But yeah, she likes cemeteries. We go and she wants to walk around the cemetery, look at the things and doesn't get too freaked out. But
0: let's go back to the beginning. This story starts about 40 years ago, when Sean was around five. Things were pretty rough. He and his mom found themselves homeless in New York City in the winter.
1: 1977, well, five years old, kindergarten, and yeah, we um, my mom and my dad split, and when he split the money, split with him, and so we were living in the basement of a factory. It's a garment factory. You know, all machines and old clothes and old uh, dress forms, you know. It's raggedy and just filthy and... Yeah, right here still scars from getting chewed on by a rat. Still have the scar on my arm. We were there for through the winter and into into the next year. Just us. I'm the only child.
0: Sean's mom took care of him as best she could, and that involved sending him to stay with her family in Jamaica, whom he had never met.
1: I think she actually asked, like, hey, I need to send this kid to you to, like, really deal with whatever she was dealing with. And so they pin the note on you, (laughs) and they throw you on the plane, they walk you to the gate, and then you get off, and people who you only know from Polaroids are all waiting for you.
0: The crowd of strangers who Sean saw when he got off the plane were his family.
1: Grandparents, cousins.
0: They all piled into an old pickup truck, the kids in the back.
1: means six other people going on these rickety roads up to Bog Walk, which is like north of Kingston a little bit
0: they drove over rough, unfamiliar roads to Sean's grandparents' house.
1: From Brooklyn, New York, to Jamaica. I've heard about Jamaica through my mom, um, but it's my first time ever going there.
0: It was culture shock. Coming from New York City, even nature was pretty new to Sean.
1: I mean, it was so quiet where crickets or whatever the hell was in the dark made so much noise where it was impossible to sleep. I mean, it's it's late and there's no streetlights. And I've never in my life seen stars like that. I mean, like, like you're falling. Like you're falling either backwards or forwards at the same time, you have no idea. So the vertigo really hit, you're disoriented.
0: One night, Sean woke up
1: and had to pee. It's dark o'clock. And you know, you have to go out of the back of their shack is probably the best word for their home, but, you know, it's cobbled together with all types of zinc and everything else. And you have to go down this hill to the outhouse.
0: That would be tough for most five-year-olds from New York. But Sean had some additional challenges to deal with. Remember the Obia religion he talked about?
1: I remember, like, being told to walk sideways to minimize my shadow. Otherwise a duppy would snatch my shadow and I will never fall asleep again. Who says that to a kid as has to go to the bathroom at midnight?
0: Well, someone who believes in duppies.
1: A duppy is, is a spirit.
0: And one that apparently likes shadows, but strongly dislikes clinking bottles. In many places in the Caribbean, people hang up Coke bottles and rum bottles so the spirits can't come into the house.
1: At night? I remember hearing the bottles clink, winds blowing over them. So there's that kind of in their clinking at the same time, and it's creepy.
0: Picture it: five-year-old Sean is walking sideways down a dark hillside, desperately needing to pee. He's terrified that a malevolent spirit will rob him of sleep forever if the moon hits him the wrong way and casts a shadow.
1: The moon is gorgeous out and I'm looking at the ground like, man, oh, still too big, you know? And so I am like, put my hands, I'm going side the side. And I mean, I got to go to the bathroom. The goats are out there running around. Chickens are out there running around. So it's, it's already contextually nothing I'm familiar with. But it's also that type of night where it's bright. It's nighttime, but the stars are out. The moon is out. There's no clouds. And there's like this two blades in the ground. just stuck in the ground. I'm looking at that, whoa. At first, it looked like, I don't know if you remember the old school push lawnmowers, the old school ones, look like that with a handle. So obviously you use those with your hands and it looks like there's blood on it. Something like maybe those are things that they kill the goats with, you know, because I know. I mean, I'm not a dumb kid. I know when we had the other goat before that, I know where it came from because there was four one day and three the next day, so I know what's going on. But I was like, okay. Go to the bathroom, almost die because I'm terrified. It was just scary. And then I remember being lost, and then my grandma kind of like, you okay, there she is. And then really taken off. And then asking about it in the morning, like, what are those big old knives in the ground for us? I, I got cut at night. You know, she's like, oh, no, those are Triumph's blades.
0: Sean's grandma said those were Triumph's blades. Keep in mind that up until that point, Sean had never heard of his great-grandfather Triumph or the history, and some might say celebrity, that surrounded him.
1: And then I'm like, who's that? And then they show me a picture of him and. And he's just, just the grumpiest looking guy in the history of the universe. Fedora, tie. I mean, you just look in his face, you could tell that he would take you out if he if he needed to. Uh, one local newspaper article about him in there, and it was like, you know, is he wanted or not? Is he doing what they're saying or not? And apparently this guy was living in the hills and was like chopping white people up. <laughs> like literally, it was like a freedom fighter Like, no, the British should never be on Jamaica. You bought us from Africa, and he would just go in with machetes and then just hide. And so apparently the police was looking for him for a long time, and government officials were looking for him for a long time. He was this guy who people loved and protected.
0: Well, some people loved and protected him, clearly not the ones he used his machetes on. Triumph was born sometime in the 1880s, less than 50 years after slavery was abolished in Jamaica. He grew up hearing stories about slavery that hit home pretty
1: hard. From What I heard is that he um, would hear stories from his parents um, about being slaves, you know, and about how bad they were treated and brought there and the rest. And, you know, apparently it's just something he couldn't let go of. And so he would sneak out at night, attack police, (laughs) chop people up, and then go hide.
0: That's not all, though. Legend has it that when Triumph went on his machete expeditions, He took along his daughter, Sean's grandmother, strapped to his back. She was around five or six years old.
1: And she was holding on, quiet, and she was basically acting as a lookout. There's one, and whoop, chop him up, and go hide, and go run back in the woods. But yeah, she would be there. Like him, apparently those two were also night owls. Like my daughter and I are night owls.
0: Aside from Triumph and Sean both being night owls and having night owl daughters, Sean takes after his fierce great grandfather in another way.
1: I think he's a badass. I think he was a man of conviction. I think the men of that side of the family have always been very comfortable with violence. Not like that we seek it out or anything, but if you get into a fight, it's like okay, we get into a fight. Even my grandfather—I mean, I saw my grandfather take out three Harley Davidson dudes, you know, because they called him a nigger and just walk over and punched one guy in the face and just kept going. And afterwards, we went out to ice cream, and it was like nothing happened. I bounced. In night clubs and nightclubs and have been hundreds of street fights. Violence was like a language that the men of my mom's side of the family really, really spoke well.
0: Sean got confirmation of his similarity to Triumph around 15 years ago when he was in Jamaica and someone spotted him.
1: Somebody looked at me in the face. I was actually in Coronation Market and someone was like, are you McConnell? And I was like, yeah. She says, you look just like your great grandfather triumph. And it's an older woman. And I was like, okay, dude. He says, oh yeah, in the face and your eyes, like, you look happy with your mouth, but you look mean with your eyes. He says, oh, he was he was a bad man. He was a bad man. A bad man in Jamaica is like cowboy here. So it's like an outlaw. You know, like he's a bad man. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh him used to go out there, machete and chopped him up. People used to love him for it.
0: Sean only stayed with his family in Jamaica for the summer. When fall came, he went back to New York, where his mom had found an apartment with heat and no rats. But before he left, he decided he wanted a memento. On a mantle in his grandparents' house was a ring that had belonged to his great grandfather, Triumph.
1: And it was this beautiful, like, iron ring. It's gorgeous, something apparently he wore all the time. You know, normally you'd figure that he'd be buried with it, but he wasn't buried with it, and so I stole it. (laughs) I was a master thief at that age, because being, you know, when you're poor, and your mom, who wasn't able to really provide it all in any real way, I was really, really good at stealing things as a kid. I had, like, a little little box of things that I stole, comic books and action figures and whatever, and so this is part of that kind of haul.
0: That box of stolen goods with the ring in it stayed with Sean for decades.
1: It moved with me from place to place to place to place to college, in different states, different countries. It always came with me. Fast forward to um, me being a parent.
0: Triumph's ring took on a new meaning for Sean when he had his daughter Hyacinth. By that time, both his and his wife's parents had died, so his daughter had no grandparents. No elders to regale her with old family stories.
1: Ring has had zero impact until I have a kid who I kind of want her to have this history. I want her to understand kind of like where she comes from because not having grandparents on either side who normally you would just ship them off to to get the stories and to get the recipes and to get the whatever that you would normally pass down. She has that on neither side. And so I'm like, oh yeah, I have this, you know, this ring, but still never really thought about it.
0: So Sean had shown the ring to his daughter, but that was it. He put it back in its box so she wouldn't eat it or lose it. She was a baby. He just continued to hold on to it, thinking it might help his daughter feel connected to her ancestor someday when she was older. And then when his daughter was around 2 years old, Sean's wife had to go out of town for a few days. It was the first time he'd been alone with his daughter for that long, and he was struggling a bit with the challenge of parenting a toddler on his own. One night, she would not go to sleep. By 1130, Sean was getting desperate.
1: She was crying, like she would not stop crying. And I'm freaking out, frustrated, because I have no idea what to do, and there's nothing worse than not being able to help your kid.
0: Sean fell back on an old standby. The Bedtime Story. But he decided to throw in a little family history while he was at it.
1: I don't like the Golden Key books. Family connection is really, really important. Like the family stories are really important. I kind of wanted to know. And so I'm like, what would I would like as a kid going to sleep? Oh yeah, action. So let me tell my daughter some action stories about her, her great-great-grandfather killing people. From the stories that I've heard, and of course for her, I was like, oh yeah, then he snuck through the bushes and then he, you know, jumped out and, you know, and, and, and this wasn't working.
0: Since Sean's daughter was usually soothed by walks near water, he got out the stroller.
1: Me being the idiot that I am, I was like, let's go for a late night walk around Lake Merritt. And this is before Lake Merritt it was now the new gentrified Lake Merritt.
0: Lake Merritt at night can feel a little dodgy. It's in the middle of downtown Oakland, and during the day, there's lots of people around. While it's lovely at night, with a necklace of lights around the lake, it's maybe not the first place most people would think of taking their toddler for a late-night stroll. Nonetheless, Sean trundled his daughter and her stroller into the car.
1: So I go, we'll go we'll go around the safe part of the lake. We'll go around we'll go around the lake closest to Grant. We're not gonna go by Kaiser's side because that's actually kinda creepy. So we'll just start at the little band show, whatever that little thing is on the lake, and then we'll just walk. And then parked and then we got out. Clear night, beautiful, nice and warm outside. Though we're in the stroke, and so we just started walking around the lake. There's people out there. You know, and it was not just creepy people. <laughs> there's people out there, there's people kissing on benches. There's ducks making noise. There are, are geese out there sleeping, floating in the water. it was really peaceful. And I can feel my daughter's tension kind of go away. Like, she's she's still snuffling and kind of mumbling, but she's not like the full on wail that she was doing for literally like 90 minutes. And so I'm getting calm. And I'm like, okay, maybe just, Maybe a couple minutes and then we can just get back in the car and she'll be asleep for the entire time and I can actually do work in my car.
0: That thought lasted about a minute.
1: Someone started following us. We we're being tracked, I just know because just, that's what that's what predators do. <laughs> they track you. I know danger. I'm I'm really good with danger. And um I'm like, okay, wow, what am I gonna do? You know, like, how do you you know if this guy does something, like, what do I do with my daughter here? Like do I shove her away and handle the guy and then come back to her? Like, what if there's like more than one and I don't want to turn around and know where my car is because that's gonna be more of an issue. So we're still walking and walking. He starts coming towards us, and I'm like, I have no weapons on me, I have like nothing, I'm like the water's to the right-hand side of me, and so what am I gonna do, like, throw my daughter into the lake? Like, what's gonna happen right now? And it starts, like, cutting across.
0: The man continued towards them and came up close to Sean and his daughter. It was clear he was up to no good. Sean's defense reflex started to kick in.
1: I just felt like I thought it was a adrenaline rush. Like I'm ready to go. Like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this guy out and I'm gonna run with my daughter. I'm gonna leave the stroller here and I'm just gonna take off with this baby. Normally, when I've been in situations before where, I, where I'd get that charge, it went to like you know my feet, my hands. I'm ready to go, but I felt drained. It was just like boom, like super high, super crash. It was there and it wasn't there anymore. It's like I had it and then I no longer it wasn't mine anymore.
0: But it wasn't gone. It had just moved over and down.
1: It was the creepiest thing I've ever seen in my life. I heard in my life. I thought my daughter just get like, just ready to uh, I can't even do it, because it wasn't high-pitched like a baby scream. It was like a growl, like a yell. It was like, how old are you for real? It was to the point where it was almost like weaponized. Just And there's the screams at this guy, and just really gave it to this guy. I'm feeling it. He's definitely feeling it. And I don't know what it is. Like, it's, and it's not just like a baby scream. It's not just like a a kid being angry. It's a, it's like primal and spooky and it was so full of energy. Just, I mean, if she could curse, I'm pretty sure it would've been one long fuck. Like, I'm sure she would've just yelled that. But she just yelled and yelled, sustained few minutes, five minutes, sustained. And I'm thinking, poor little like throat, you know, my baby. And this guy, you could tell he's so visually shaken. He starts, I'm so sorry, I wasn't gonna, I was gonna, but I'm not. And he's just tumbling over his words and he just looks at like me. I'm a pretty big guy, I'm a big tattooed guy, you know, pretty intimidating. I was nothing. He looked at my daughter and left. And so I just, like, started running back to the car. We just turned 180, run back to the car. And she's chilling. She's wide awake, no crying, get in the car, I'm waiting for the cry. No crying. So that's a little
0: weird. But like Sean said, kids can be creepy. And adrenaline can do amazing things. He put hyacinth in the car, and they headed home.
1: We get home from from the lake. She's still not crying. And I'm still freaked out from this encounter that I just had. Gave her some water. I put her down.
0: Sean collapsed into a chair in the living room, worn out and recovering from their near miss at the lake.
1: And I heard a noise, something like a tank. And I started checking all the rooms in the house. Our house is, um, I mean, it's not like super creepy, but it's like, I'm an apartment guy. So, you know, it settles and it creaks and it moves and it's nighttime. And we have this attic we never go into. I was like, oh my God, who's in there? There's a bat, like what's going on? And then I go to, you know, I'm in the kitchen, laundry room. I go to all the rest of the other rooms. And then I go into her. Room and she's laying in the middle of the bed in a ball, which she never, ever, ever does. Even as a baby, she never was a fetal baby. She's always spread out.
0: Sean stepped closer to straighten the bed covers, and that's when he noticed something even stranger.
1: In her hands, she's holding my great-grandfather's ring, both hands around it, just like her whole body around this ring. And I'm like... Where was that stored? Because I would think it would be in my room. That's how I would think it would be.
0: Sean pondered this for a while, alone in the living room, and then couldn't take it. He called his aunt back in New York.
1: It's a three-hour difference. I know she was angry. And I explained to her, she's like, boy, you don't know protection when you hear it. Some people would say, oh, it's God's will, you know, whatever. But she was like, oh, no, that's our ancestors. That's what they're there for. And then clip and then hung up on me. And then I'm just sitting up there literally until daytime in the living room, just like really not feeling okay about the whole event.
0: You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. You can find more information and music credits at nocturnepodcast.org. There's lots of ways to support the show. You can like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes, or donate on Patreon. The website has links to all of that. But most of all, tell your friends about the show. And if you have a story idea, we'd love to hear it. Email us at hello at nocturnepodcast.org. Nocturne is a proud founding member of The Herd, an independent collective of sound-rich storytelling podcasts. There are six shows, and they're all really well-produced, thoughtful, and illuminating. Go check them out at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Thanks for listening.